Chapter Five of Mrs. Solomon Smith Looking On by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Some things is queer. Solomon can't go," said Mrs. Smith, musing in her knitting and looking meditatively into the fire. "And he is dreadful set on my going. Jonas is the only kin he has left. They ain't been much like brothers so far as visiting goes." it must be nearly twenty years since they've laid eyes on each other and as for writing letters solomon is no hand to write but he has a very warm heart towards jonas and all his family and he thinks a wedding is something uncommon that ought to bring the family together and the long and the short of it is he wants me to go of course you ought to go my mary said speaking in the first pause i shouldn't think you would miss it for anything a city wedding is a grand affair i hope you will go if it is for nothing but to tell me about it when you get home i suppose it will be ever so splendid they are rich people aren't they as to that i don't believe they've any too much to spend on flummeries child mrs smith said looking with such loving eyes on mary that while the child blushed and laughed over the searching glance that went up and down the flummeries on her dress she was in no wise displeased mary never was annoyed by mrs smith's plain speaking i don't know much about them never was there in my life jonas i knew when he was a young man and sarah his wife walked over from deanville to see me once she was dressed plain enough then and was a meek and quiet body they've lived in the city for more than twenty years but i guess they've had hard rowing solomon has a note of his brothers that there ain't been no interest paid on for more than five years now and solomon thinks he wouldn't have done so if he had been forehanded if i go i shall take the child a nice little present to show them that we feel all right about the interest as of course we do for when a man can't pay why he can't a singular combination of circumstances had made us or rather was about to make us what laura called almost related to dear old mrs smith i had a gay young nephew in a distant city a motherless fatherless boy whom in his quite early life i had mothered as well as he would let me he had been however for ten years so independent of us that he rarely visited us and more rarely wrote last week he had surprised us by a cordial invitation to his wedding and the lady whom he was to marry was solomon smith's niece lida or elizabeth as mrs smith called her jonas smith's only daughter irving my boy had been very eager in his urgings that we uncle aunt and cousins should come to see him made into a grave old man but his uncle could not get away from business neither did solomon smith believe that he could so after many talks and numberless plans it was finally settled that mary should stay at home to care for her father while mrs smith and laura and i represented the two families at the wedding in view of the fact that our boy irving had no home our invitation to stop with the smiths was most cordial and made it very much nicer for our old friend so imagine us one winter morning 
duly packed, lunched, and with the usual number of bundles, seated in the eight o'clock express, ready for whatever experiences the next three or four days might have to furnish. Laura began the journey by looking volumes of indignation at those who dared to smile over Mrs. Smith's appearance, but really I did not blame them. The dear old lady certainly had the faculty for getting herself up in a unique fashion. Her trim black dress was completely hidden by a long, heavy cloak of dark green cloth, an old-fashioned cloth such as I fancy our grandmothers might have worn. I think it was called camlet, and nothing like it, so far as I know, can be found in the stores of today. The shape in which it was fashioned was as quaint as the material. The bonnet which accompanied it was of velvet, and in its better days the pile on it had been heavy. Even now the velvet was of a rich, glossy black, not a thread of cotton about it. But the shape of the bonnet suggested at least ten winters of duty. I don't know but many more. The sweet old face looking out from the old-fashioned frill that gathered full about the old-fashioned bonnet was beautiful to us, but those who did not know her were apt to smile. Laura, with her flashing eyes and cheeks aglow over what she felt was disloyalty to a noble soul, had no idea what a pretty contrast she was. She had finished her dark green travelling suit but the day before, and it became her wonderfully. She had taken counsel of the dear old lady's taste somewhat, I fancy, for there were no furbelows of any sort about it. She turned a seat and made herself comfortable, sitting backwards, establishing Mrs. Smith beside me, for protection from gigglers and simpletons generally, she whispered, as she leaned over to arrange my valise as a footstool. But before the day was done, many who had smiled learned to respect the figure in the dark green cloak and large bonnet. It was a curious study to watch her, so quiet and unobtrusive was she, yet so alert. Nothing escaped her keen gray eyes. To begin with, of course there was a baby on the car, and of course it demanded more than its share of attention. Now a sweet-faced, cooing baby, arrayed in fine, white-broidered garments, with bright eyes and dimpled chin, and mouth that breaks into radiant smiles whenever one looks that way, is an exquisite bit of enjoyment for anybody. I have seen Laura go into raptures over such an one, and borrow it of a doting mother, and kiss it and coo to it by the hour together. But this baby was not over clean, bearing about on its coarse dress the marks of a long journey. At his best he was not pretty, for he was wide-mouthed and tow-headed, and had dull, unresponsive eyes. Besides, he was tired and sleepy, and yet would not sleep. Hungry, too, and the bill of fare spread out before him in the shape of watery-looking milk in a cinder-covered bottle, and a molasses cookie seemed to disgust him. On the whole, he was undeniably cross. He threw away the cookie, and tried to send the bottle after it. He pulled at his tired, discouraged mother's nose, and at her hair, which was in such disorder that it did not need this touch to add to the dreariness of her appearance. By turns he whined piteously or yelled outright. The mother lifted him from one tired arm to the other, and coaxed and petted as well as she knew how, and scolded a little, 
especially at the four-year-old towhead who clung to her shawl and was in every way dirtier homelier and more objectionable looking than the baby this group sat nearly opposite us the father absorbed most of the time in a newspaper laura watched them furtively annoyed by their close proximity annoyed by the molasses cookie on the floor surrounded with puddles of tobacco juice which the father from time to time poured around it annoyed apparently that so forlorn a specimen of baby should turn all the poetry connected with childhood into disagreeable prose mrs smith watched them too but with an entirely different face intense sympathy with both mother and baby were so strongly written on it that i was not in the least surprised presently to have her give a brisk little spring forward and come back with the angry baby his irritation was however held in check by astonishment i am sure he was not used to motherly old arms poor little fellow murmured his new friend how tired he looks cinders in his eyes and cookie in his mouth and nose no wonder he cries laura if you would just wet my handkerchief for me i would make him more comfortable in a minute and rest his poor mother a bit very gravely laura arose very slowly she drew off the dark kid glove that matched her suit and prepared to go to the water tank and wet the capacious clean handkerchief which was intended to cleanse baby's face the deed was done however in process of time and baby far from resenting seemed soothed and pleased with the entire performance he actually smiled and though his mouth was undeniably large that lovely mystery which dwells in a baby's smile came instantly to glorify this one then he nestled in the comfortable arms and laid his little toe head upon the motherly bosom and was softly crooned to sleep the look on the mother's face meantime must have paid mrs smith i know it softened the look of annoyance in laura's eyes the mother came presently with grateful homely words she was dead tired had been travelling three days and two nights all the clothes she had brought with her for the children were soiled and they were both as cross as two sticks and she was clean discouraged she would take baby and lay him on the seat beside her maybe he would take quite a nap poor thing mrs smith said looking compassionately at the mother and cuddling the baby she would lay him down herself and sit beside him i won't let him roll off she said with delightful assurance of strength in her voice i've done the same thing for my children and grandchildren here's an empty seat right behind us i'll make a nice bed for him and i'll coax the other little fellow to me and keep him comfortable there's a big apple in my satchel he'll like then you just lop down and take a nap it will do you good johnny won't come said the mother looking volumes of thanks that she did not know how to express he's awful bashful but johnny did come he was magnetized he had his face washed too and his dirty little hands with another corner of the capacious handkerchief that laura obediently wetted for the purpose then he leaned against the old green cloak and listened to a quaint sweet story beginning about a kitty and a naughty puppy and changing i hardly understand myself by what transition 
only I know it seemed sweet and natural, to the story of a nice little unselfish boy who let his mother take a nap, and was a help and comfort to her all through a long journey. Then the story branched again. Once there was a little boy, a beautiful baby boy, who started with his father and mother in the night and took a long, dangerous journey. Not on the cars, no indeed, but sometimes on foot and sometimes in his mother's arms, on a donkey's back, and all the way that little boy did not once do a naughty thing and I sat and listened, and heard the old, old story of the flight into Egypt grow into marvellously vivid power and beauty, and the four-year-old Johnny, who by this time was curled into a corner of the seat with a bit of the green cloak wrapped about him, listened as one spellbound. Evidently the old story was a new one to him. He had many questions to ask, wise little questions that hinted at thoughts hid away beneath that shock of yellow hair, thoughts which might some day grow into deep ones. Who knows to what extent our dear old lady was shaping and moulding him that day? Presently the father roused from his tobacco and his paper sufficiently to remember that he had some responsibility in life, and looked about him for his family." the distinct, steady breathing, if I should by courtesy call it breathing, of his tired wife, told all her neighbors that she was making the most of her much-needed rest. The father seemed greatly astonished at the condition of affairs, and came presently, and leaned against the back of our seat, and talked with Mrs. Smith. "'My youngster there will tire you all out.' "'Not a mite.' spoken in a hearty way that might have been a joy to any father's heart nice little boys don't tire me and he is a nice little boy he has been as good as gold and let his mother and little brother sleep he has had a nice story too haven't you johnny johnny nodded he's a first-rate listener johnny is continued mrs smith and as the boy slipped away from her and gave himself up to staring at Laura, who had her watch out, she added, "'He did more than listen. You ought to have heard his wise little questions. I think they were real wonderful in such a little fellow.' "'Johnny is a cute enough chap,' said the gratified father, and the fatherly look that came into his eyes began to reconcile me somewhat to his appearance.' Up to this time I had not liked him at all. "'He is as bright as a button,' was Mrs. Smith's emphatic statement. Two nice boys you've got. The baby is uncommon strong with his hands and feet. In just a little while you'll have them trotting about after you, copying every single thing you do. Boys is almost certain to copy their fathers. That's one reason I was sorry that mine were all girls.' I wanted them to copy Solomon. He's my husband. And Solomon hasn't a habit about him hardly that a boy wouldn't be the better for copying. I think fathers ought to look out for that, especially if they've got bright boys. The father in question looked down at his boots and said nothing. I was glad he could not see Laura's curling lip. She evidently was thinking of ways in which he might be copied that would not improve his boys. Mrs. Smith was silent only a moment, then she returned to the charge. 
i was thinking of that when i sat looking at your baby's fat little face and clean sweet mouth after he had gone to sleep what a dreadful pity it would be to have it all stained up with tobacco they'll go to chewing before long i suppose time flies fast and boys begin uncommon early nowadays but doesn't it seem most too bad to think of it he might have been an uninterested third person to judge by the innocent tones of mrs smith's voice it was certainly a bold experiment i watched him curiously to see how he would take it his dark reddish skin grew a shade redder and his eyes flashed a little but the wrinkled old face was so kind and the large old hand patted his sleeping baby so tenderly that apparently without knowing it his face softened he moved uneasily as one unwilling to leave the subject yet unwilling to talk about it i don't know as i care about my young ones taking to chewing he said at last not while they are boys anyhow i calculate to bring em up about right and smoking and chewing is no kind of business for a boy well i don't know don't it seem kind of a pity that a boy couldn't be allowed to copy his father it seems so natural like they begin it before they get their first boots and they're always at it trying to walk like father and eat like father and talk like father that is if they have good fathers it seems almost as if it was what the heavenly father intended one of the ways to teach them don't you think so he shifted uneasily from one foot to the other this was evidently a new idea and suggested other serious thoughts to him there is no particular harm in chewing that i know of said he at last in a dogged sort of tone well said mrs smith tucking a plaid shawl carefully about the baby i always thought that depended on what you chewed tobacco now brings a good deal of harm along with it besides spoiling of the breath and making things untidy all around and whether she meant it or not her eyes wandered to the baby's cookie still swimming in the river of tobacco it's injurious to health and expensive i know all about it you see i had a cousin once who smoked and chewed up a whole farm well stocked a farm repeated the father his voice expressing astonishment and incredulity not a very large one i guess well as to that it was pretty considerable of a farm for them times forty acres or so all in good order and cows and horses and farming utensils all complete and he just made away with the whole thing smoking and chewing well that was the beginning you see his father took to smoking soon after he was married then he went to chewing and the boy when he was a little fellow liked the smell of tobacco seemed to kind of hanker after it inherited the taste from his own father you see he wasn't to blame poor fellow he wasn't fourteen when he could smoke a cigar with the best of them and it worked just as it often does by and by tobacco didn't satisfy him nothing that he could smoke or chew was strong enough for the craving he felt it was born in him poor boy he'd tried beer and then brandy and after a while he couldn't seem to live at all without having a bottle in one pocket and a chunk of tobacco in the other of course he chewed up and swallowed down the whole of that farm 
didn't leave enough of it to buy him a coffin or bury him so the town buried him the father's money was all gone of course but he is living yet the father is and manages to get enough money to keep him puffing and spitting he's a queer father now ain't he when he looked on and saw all that and just chewed and puffed away he never drunk a drop in his life so far as i know the tobacco satisfies him but when the next generation took the disease they took it stronger just as they're apt to and tobacco didn't do some things is queer thus concluded mrs smith rubbing her chin meditatively with her disengaged hand while with the other she patted the baby i studied her quiet face and tried to decide whether she really knew that she had been reading the father the sharpest kind of a lecture on parental responsibility and inherited tendencies well said the father at last after turning quite to one side to eject a quid of tobacco well he continued i've known boys who didn't smoke or chew though their fathers did that's true said mrs smith pleasantly oh yes that's true if there weren't a sign of a chance for the children it would be awful but then the chances are against em dreadfully against em and the curious part of it is if they have nice good fathers who do about right in other things the chances against em are a great deal worse because you see they can't help kind o wanting to follow father and be like him and they can't see no harm in what he does it seems a dreadful pity for a father to keep doing what he wouldn't want to have his boy do for a good deal that's an uncommon fine-shaped head of your johnny's he is great on mimicking isn't he you ought to have heard him tell me how the engine went he had it complete this sudden transition from tobacco to johnny surprised me but the father answered with a gratified nod he mimics everything and everybody like a monkey then immediately that dark red streak rolled up into his face again he plainly saw that he had caught himself in the meshes of his own admission he went back to his sleeping wife and if i am a judge of faces he revolved two thoughts what if the old lady is right and the little monkey should go to mimicking me and i don't want the little scamp to smoke or chew i don't see the harm in it for me but it is different with him i'd just as soon he wouldn't End of chapter five